Squadcast. Latest event, PPC News and Trends. Squadcast. With Jamie and Johnny. Hi there and welcome to a special roundtable edition of the Squadcast. It's Johnny here and this week I'm sitting down with Jamie and a few members of the Paid Search team to quiz them on the world of event PPC marketing across paid search platforms. Get ready to learn about best practices, audience types and how the paid search landscape has changed throughout the COVID-19 pandemic and also the lockdown. So let's get stuck in. Squadcast. Tag Digital Podcast. Listen to the Squadcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Squadcast. Okay, so before we dive into the questions, I thought it would be good for everybody to introduce themselves briefly. So, guys, if you want to say what your name is and then what your favourite thing about working in paid search. Sure. So, I'm Ashley. And my favourite thing about working in paid search is the visibility you get from the data. Um, and the power to like display your ad right in front of someone at a given time. Cool, I'm, I'm Karen and yes, same as Ashley, I really like how measurable our work is. You know, if a campaign is underperforming, we can kind of spot that pretty quickly and make changes there to improve. Also, I'd say I really like, you know, helping clients to reach their targets and really contribute, contributing to the success of their events. Uh, and as you know, I am Jamie and... People who work in paid search must also be very similar because I also feel that data is my favourite thing about paid search and just the amount of data we have access to. So I find it really interesting that you can like dig into how users behave online um, and find those kind of hidden gems um, that can really be the success story of your campaign. The latest event, PPC News and Trends. Listen to Squadcast at tagdigital.co.uk so what do you think that the main differences are between paid search and paid social when it comes to promoting events online? Uh, Jamie, start with you. Um, so that's a good question. I would probably say it kind of comes down to intent. Um, I think um, users on Google uh, search or Bing search are actually more voluntarily searching for terms and they have a lot more intent behind what they're actually doing on the internet at that time. So um, that's a kind of what I would say the main difference is. Like on social, you're actually probably catching people when they're most likely having some downtime and they're searching for their social platforms. They're not actually, you know, voluntarily searching for those terms that are specific to your event. I don't know if anybody else um, has anything to add to that. Yeah, Jamie, just really following on from what you said there, like with search, you're kind of putting your ad in front of users who are, directly searching um, in the search engine for a relevant query so that they're like aware of what you what they want and actively looking for it and whereas on social yeah just on people's the ads on people's feeds uh, who have key interests and behaviors in relation to like the event for example but not actively searching at that time yeah I would just agree with what both of you guys have said so it's the kind of power to put the ad and play in the search engine and then also um, with the keyword research that we would do at this side to kind of understand intent and the level of intent within that search um, and get the right message to them. Yeah, that's really interesting. I know when uh, with social, sometimes we, we have discussions with clients about 
Um, maybe it's the quality of people coming in from social compared to search. Um, and I think a lot of the time that is down to just the intent of somebody searching for um, the, the search terms or the keywords or, or whatever. Um, I'd also say I've noticed on Google, um, they've also been making moves to kind of replicate some of the social ad features. Uh, they're doing that really on their display network. So like lead gen forms, for example. So it's still kind of early days on Google there, but it'll be interesting to see just how lead quality compares uh, to those kind of ads on search um, and compared to social really. Yeah, and with lead gen forms as well, are they just on the display network or are they on any other aspects? In fact, yeah, sorry, it's actually it's on search now, if I'm right, isn't it, Ashley? It's... I think there's like a beta for all three, so primarily I think display um, and then YouTube and then rolling out on search as well, as far as I know, but they're all betas still, so we have to request through the whitelist process. Yeah, so just moving on from um, kind of the differences between search and social then, what is the overall kind of strategy that you'd use when running event campaigns across Google Ads? So kind of first of all, obviously, we work with the client to identify their business objectives and kind of where we fit into the picture there. And then from there, we'll kind of research the industry and provide like estimates um, for conversions and CPA. And then kind of once we've gone through that process, looking kind of more at campaign structure. So okay, we kind of look at the user journey. This helps us kind of nurture prospects through the funnel and also helps us re-engage our kind of existing audience. Yeah, um, just kind of echoing what Karen said there. I think we've mentioned it on the podcast quite a few times in a few of our episodes, but yeah, we do, we use the funnel approach across um, paid search, um, but we use it slightly differently to how um, Johnny would use it across um, paid social, um, because I know that, for example, Johnny's bottom of the funnel audience on paid social would look a lot different to perhaps the users that are in our bottom of the funnel audiences. Our bottom of the funnel audiences are primarily kind of keywords that are event driven or intent driven. So for example, if it's a sustainability event, those keywords would be something like sustainability event or in today's modern world, sustainability virtual event, sustainability webinar. Um, whereas Correct me if I'm wrong, Johnny, I think you use more kind of lookalike audiences um, or remarketing audiences for bottom of the funnel. Yeah, so bottom of the funnel would be remarketing audiences. Um, and then, yeah, we, we have other audiences like lookalike audiences in the middle of the funnel. Um, and then top of the funnel on social is our like interest, demographics, job titles, audiences. Um, the only thing I just wanted to add to that was... Um, for the structure it can depend on the duration until the event um, as well as the budget which can also consider things like the geo-targeting so that kind of comes into play with the approach that we would then take um, there as well so just wanted to add that in um, but yeah. I think one thing um, that I wanted to ask is obviously we've had these strategies in place for um, how we build out and plan the, the campaigns. Have you noticed whether that's um, or not have you noticed, but have you changed that strategy much um, since COVID and since the shift over to virtual events, or has the campaign builds kind of stayed the same? Um, I would say it's changed too much in the kind of grand scheme of things, like our, our overall kind of structure is 
stays has stayed the same. It's still a kind of funnel based approach. There's a few areas that I personally have noticed that are kind of performing differently than they usually would though. So for example, I've actually noticed a lot of um, our display campaigns um, converting a lot better than they once did uh, with that shift to virtual. I don't exactly know the reason behind that, but um, that's just one kind of trend I've noticed um, over the last kind of uh, 12 month period. Uh, so I have definitely been kind of pushing more budget and more focus towards display um, throughout this period. But I've also noticed, um, as you could probably imagine, there's been a bit of a decrease in branded searches um, for events as they change to virtual, just because um, that brand aware audience might um, kind of have just assumed that the event might not be going ahead this year. But with that, I've actually noticed an increase in the number of bottom of the funnel um, searches coming through and the the kind of demand for virtual events is like very much present and because we're able to target on a global scale um, we're actually able to drive a lot more new data onto the website. I don't know if that's just the campaigns that me and you've been running Johnny that I've noticed that trend. I don't know if um, Ashley and Karen have noticed the similar trends across uh, search like that yeah Jamie um I was actually wondering the same like all my clients are kind of based in the Middle East and I've seen the exact same really with the display campaigns whereas before like we would normally kind of have it as more of a kind of brand awareness um objective there but the leads coming through you know higher lead volume lower CPAs so it's been really positive and I thought maybe this is just that people have a lot more kind of time online now maybe just browsing different websites so they're maybe seeing the ads and taking more time to pay attention to them so definitely positive um in that respect yeah i would agree i think a lot with the kind of everyone working from home and the current situation i think there's a lot of crossover between that free time leisure like scrolling through your phone um than there used to be so yeah i think a lot more people are more engaged at the moment on display um, that as well as I feel like the audiences are getting smarter and the targeting that we can do on Google is a lot is getting a lot clever, a lot more advanced um, and the smart bidding capabilities as well. I feel like they're definitely coming into play with those display campaigns and the ability to even set conversion level goals and things will also be helping. Um, as Jamie, you also mentioned as well about geos, that's something that's definitely um, allowed us to expand with the virtual campaigns Um with that said, it's still to kind of, it's still important to keep in mind the, that building that awareness and those new geos, and um, with softer call to actions as well. Um, when we are expanding, we're also seeing in general, I would say, bit large increases in registrations year on year, um, and there's also that shift to on a focus for attendance as an objective, um, to ensure that those that are registering actually log in, and attend, which is a kind of. A campaign which which wasn't so important for the live events which is which is really quite important now I think that's everything and the only other thing I was going to mention was um the initial kind of resistance that we've seen to paid conferences um which is now eased off just with everyone getting a bit more used to that being a concept and willing to pay um but then again just making sure that messaging is right so we're not asking a brand new user to purchase a £3,000 ticket for a virtual event that they're not all that aware of so just to make sure that we continue nurturing those users through the funnel approach 
um, and kind of hit them at the right time with the right message. Yeah, yeah, I think um, I would totally agree with that. Like, I, I think at the start there was a lot of resistance just to virtual events in general, just for both kind of industry side and and attendee side. But I think as they've grown as a concept, people are just you know grow are warming to them really quickly and um i have seen an increase in the number of kind of um paid ticket virtual events now um and they're actually starting to become some of our more successful events that we're running um or successful campaigns that we're running in-house at the moment just because um the, the virtual platform actually does lend itself well um to that and you actually end up the user actually ends up getting a lot more for their money than they would if they were actually able to physically attend because you're only really you're limited by time when you physically attend one of these paid for events um, and you can only attend select uh, sessions for example but I think users are actually starting to see the value in these virtual events that you have to pay for because you have access to a whole um, selection of sessions and you can watch them on demand and things like that so yeah I would just I would agree with you there, Ashley. I think that's definitely um, one of the kind of key trends we've seen. Yeah. So yeah. So the only other thing to add there is just um, the images that we're using and the kind of shift away from busy conferences and exhibition floors. Um, we've really shifted to kind of designed images or featured speakers or even things like brand logos of the, the logos are, of the companies that are attending. Um, rather than those busy um, busy kind of standard photos that we would usually be using for live events pre-COVID. Quite a lot of my clients have actually started using, you know, event floors with people wearing masks and kind of showing the social distancing for the physical events that are going ahead just now. And they tend to be working quite well. I think people are quite keen to, you know, get back together as soon as they can. And that just obviously shows that we're doing it safely and... Um, you know, we're following all the guidelines. Yeah, definitely important. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that's something that's been the same on Facebook as well, um, and perhaps even more so just because people on Facebook and on LinkedIn obviously have the ability to comment under your ads. So um, when we were at the beginning of, of what's been happening, um, when we were running with ads, as we would traditionally with maybe exhibition halls and things like that um the comments on there were really i think distracting from the messaging of the ad um so yeah that's definitely a trend we've noticed across social as well so is there anything in particular that's performing really well across paid search right now in general um so not necessarily covid related uh ashley i think we'll start with you sure um, so we're seeing some really great wins um, with events that are usually expensive to attend. So um, those kind of larger conferences are normally happening. Some of them have been doing like free week events um, for the full week. So a lot of good content available um, with, of course, some like paid elements as well. Um, so that's been performing really well. Um, something else that's working well just now is exhibitor campaigns for live events later in the year. We're seeing really great numbers for exhibitors um, year on year and in general for the campaigns that I've been running so far this year, January has been a really strong month um, 
against targets that we set and against year on year figures. So, um, yeah, things are looking great. I would say so far this year. Um, I, I say there's been a real uplift compared to the end of last year, with where events were kind of winding down, um, for the for the festive period. Yeah, I would um agree with that as well. I've I've actually been running a few exhibitor campaigns or exprom campaigns for physical events that are taking place later on in the year and I've had a, a had some really really strong results in January so far as well um, the one thing I wanted to say that's been working well for me um, recently is um, DSA campaigns or dynamic search ad campaigns these are a fairly new concept I think we've talked about them a few times um, in the last couple of episodes uh, so yeah I've been running these uh, DSA campaigns um, for uh, courses campaigns so not they're slightly related to uh, event campaigns um, through one of our clients um, and I've seen a lot of great results from uh, using the dynamic search ad feed uh, or page feed feature which basically takes a, a full kind of list of URLs from your website and you can generate ads um, based off of those and um, basically your keywords for the targeting for that are dynamically driven from the content that's on your website so um, it's a great way to fill the gaps in between your kind of current keyword strategy um, and I've seen a lot of great success from these campaigns so far over the last kind of year or so. Um, I know they're still kind of a touchy topic for the rest of you guys but um, I, de- I definitely think the more that we're using them the, the, the kind of we're getting starting to kind of get to grips with them and we're starting to get some better results uh, on the event side of things as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think they'll be a key uh, trend probably for the rest of this year. Um, it's just more, I think you've found great success with the page feeds, which is interesting to try and roll out with um, going forward as well. But even with those kind of keywords from your website, which is what um, dynamic search ads can do as well, I think that'd be really valuable for especially for some of those niche um, kind of campaigns that have a lot of niche keywords that we would maybe not think to include in a um, in our standard campaign structure based on the kind of volume around those. If where there's low volume, um, we might miss them out or miss them. Um, so it's those kind of unique searches that dynamic search ads can pick up and can be really valuable. Um, I've actually been really pleased with the performance coming from the YouTube and video network at the moment. Especially through like remarketing, I've noticed we're able to achieve like a really low uh, CPA in comparison to search or display. So I think this could be due to the kind of lower competition on uh, the channel at the minute. In terms of also the creative on the YouTube network, so performance from shorter video creative tends to be a lot stronger. So that's really videos and kind of under thirty seconds. And I've run a few tests with clients for like 30 seconds and under and videos are kind of like over a minute. And the shorter videos outperform the longer videos every time. So I think just getting your message across as concisely as possible is really key for the content on YouTube. I think as our attention spans are getting a bit shorter and shorter kind of every year, aren't they? So um, that works really well. Um, have you noticed whether kind of they work any differently depending on who you're targeting there um, or is it just more of a, a general performance? If we're retargeting our recent website visitors so maybe from the last 30 days or so 
uh, those campaigns tend to perform the strongest as they are the most qualified and they're engaged uh, with the brand and the event. Um, however, also with the customer intent audience, so that is like a prospecting audience on YouTube, the conversions coming through there are still lower than like display and uh, search at the minute. So there's definitely opportunity I can across both of the kind of key audiences that we target. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and I was hoping that you would say remarketing because that brings me on to the next thing that I wanted to cover. Um, so in terms of different types of remarketing audiences, um, you've obviously got custom data and then cookie-based audiences. Um, so I just wanted to throw it to you guys, really. Which one do you prefer um, and what do you think kind of works best at the moment? Uh, we'll start with you, Karen. So I think this actually really depends on the quality of the data list. I think both it's important to have both audiences if possible. Um, typically, if you've got a really strong list uh, full of good information on the users and relevant data that's kind of fairly new and um, they tend to work quite well and also the match rates on those lists are stronger however if the lists are older and um, maybe there's not a lot of users in the data pool or whatever that can uh, cause an issue which will result in the campaign not performing optimally so yeah i definitely think depending on the quality of the data and also in terms of like cookie based lists um how many users are in that audience as well that can affect how well the campaign performs yeah um i would kind of agree with karen there I, I, I do think it just depends um on on what you're using like i would probably say that if you have really good data to use then custom data would perform better than cookie based kind of nine times out of ten but again it just depends um um, on all those kind of instances Karen just mentioned on how large your data pool is, uh, how old it is, um, how qualified it is, etc. My, if we were doing like a poll, I would probably pick, pick cookie based um, based on the fact that we can kind of control the audience segments and they build as they go. Um, but as Karen mentioned and Jamie as well, it depends on the quality. So if we get a really strong custom data list, um, that's large enough it can be really effective so something like um the previous year's um attendance or the previous year's exhibitors um that can work really well because we don't have the full list so that would include any registered um from like email or um organic or anything like that um it's also it's a great base for like similar audiences to reach a new audiences audience that's interested in attending so um yeah custom data can be really good there's just a couple of restrictions um so if there's not enough volume then it can be a, a little bit of a struggle to spend or a little bit of a struggle to be shown <laughs> yeah i think um it would be useful if we had some kind of tool that could increase the match rate of data um does anybody know of any tools available at the moment where you can increase the the match rate that we can potentially get out of custom data uh yeah so it's uh, funny you should ask that actually because um we've just recently started working with um a, a platform called LiveRamp, um which is essentially a, a tool that helps you improve um things like match rate and gives you a whole load more kind of information on your audience that you have uh, have in front of you so with that early results we've actually seen 
um, match rates that are kind of once you put them through Google ads before live ramp they've been about 10% we've actually seen that shift up to about 70% yeah, using live ramp obviously there's um, a few associated costs um, with using that just because it is um, it, it does have such a kind of powerful um, data behind it and it's it obviously improves the, the, the use of your data um, but I would probably urge everybody that has custom data to consider using live ramp to just to improve that quality and that match rate because we will get the best out of it if, if we do so yeah and that's the same across social as well um for anybody who's listening who's who's looking to run a social campaign with data um i know that we can sometimes get quite high match rates um depending on what platform it is and and what kind of emails we've got so for example if if we're working with LinkedIn, we don't necessarily get very high match rates using work email addresses um, or, or on Facebook, to be honest, because people generally register with their personal email. Um, but tools like LiveRamp can really improve that match rate. So, uh, yeah, we can use it across all channels. So I'd, I'd urge you, like Jamie, to, to use them. Um, and then on a similar kind of note to my previous question um i know that one thing that we take advantage of really on facebook and on linkedin is lookalike audiences and i know that on google you've got similar audiences which i think are similar to lookalike audiences um can anybody really run through what similar audiences are and to somebody like me who's kind of only aware of the social side of things. Um, would anybody be able to say whether they're as powerful as lookalike audiences? Yeah, of course, a similar audience is where Google would find users who are within those categories that your root audience matches with. So, for example, if your root audience is website visitors, Google can find users that are likely to be similar to those um, based on all the data that it has on those individuals um, and create a, create a similar audience. Yeah, I think... Um, descriptions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think just to build upon that, the whether they're as powerful or as uh, successful as lookalike audiences on Facebook, it's still kind of early doors. I think the one thing that I think that the tools lacking or or the similar audiences are lacking is the fact that we don't yet have that ability to to define the lookalike audiences or the similar audiences I should say sorry like you do on Facebook where you can decide I want to target a lookalike um, of this audience but in the US for example um, and I only want it to be a 1% lookalike so people who are in that 1% that look the most like the users in the root audience and um, we don't have that uh, functionality on Google Ads yet it's just um, they're they're defining that audience for us um, and there's no kind of way to um, you know limit it if that makes sense it could include users who are 1% like that audience and users who are 10% uh, who are l less like that audience if that makes sense um, or the top it's the top 10% versus the top 1% so um yeah that's probably 
the limitations I would say of uh, similar audiences at the moment. I don't think they're quite there yet. We have started using them um, and they are very powerful, but um, I still think there's a lot to learn. Yeah, I think one of the benefits that Facebook has as well is a little bit more demographic data than what Google has. Because um, obviously on Facebook you, you fill out your kind of personal details there, um, which is kind of what Google lacks slightly. Um, most of the data is kind of based on um, your search history in terms of what keywords you're searching for on Google and what websites you're visiting to kind of understand exactly who, who that user is. Um, so it's slightly different, but yeah. I think as well, like, I think as well with display, we've seen kind of when that first rolled out years ago, like, over time, like, it improved. Um, I think we'll probably see the same with lookalike audience as well. So it'll be interesting to see. I think it's important to obviously keep rolling out in our campaigns and testing it, even if maybe we're not finding as good performance as we want right now, like, that could change in time. So it's good to keep on top of it. Okay, so just looking ahead then, um, moving away from what is currently performing well and what's been performing well over uh, kind of the last 12 months with the pandemic, um, what direction do you see the search platforms moving towards over the next few years? Um, I don't know if, if who wants to start that one. I think we will probably see even more automation um, go forward and in line with that as well, less and less visibility on data for advertisers. So I think we can see Google, obviously, with the search terms reporting things, they are kind of limiting the visibility compared to what we had maybe a year or two ago now. So we obviously have to adapt and work with that and maybe put more focus on the user journey and just make sure that we are serving the right ads at the right time with the kind of control that we do retain kind of going forward. Yeah, um, it's so scary how sometimes um, how our, our minds work on a similar level there because I was just going to say the exact same thing. I think we're going to have um, a lot less control uh, over things like keywords and what actually our ads um, are, what actually triggers our ads. Um, we're starting to see that already this year with um, the change in uh, broad match and phrase match keywords that's going to kick in, in on the 18th of February uh, this month. So, um, yeah, I think that's just something that as people who work in paid search, we just, we can assume is just going to to happen over and over again. Um, and we just need to kind of roll with the punches and just adapt um, because there's always going to need to be that user or that human control element anyway, just because of the kind of nature of the job they can automate a lot of things but they can't physically um c like uh, decipher how a human being reacts to ads and things like that only we can be in control of things like ad copy and, and things like that so um yeah i think that's one thing and i also would probably just echo another thing that karen mentioned earlier on um with video i think we're going to be using a lot more video um, over the next few years, I really think that's a, a really powerful um, medium of ad and um, it's something that we're pushing a lot for this year um, with our video service and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think I definitely see that being massive this year. Yeah, I agree with both. So I would say a lot more automation 
and machine learning across all the kind of functions within the platform. Um, and it's funny as well, you guys mentioned about the lack of um, search query data that we now have. So I think that will increase the popularity of dynamic search ads just as a kind of adaptation on that. Um, again, yeah, I think a lot more video on the Google Display Network and on YouTube. We've already seen um, the video kind of function roll out on the responsive display ads um, as a kind of intermediate for those that don't have um, video. Um, and then as well, I think it will continue to be really customer focused in terms of the right messaging at the right time, um, which we'll work with kind of the automation side of things to get to get right. And then using things like responsive search ads and dyna uh, responsive display ads will allow us to kind of to conquer that in a way. I know that one thing that is big on everybody's minds when it comes to the social side of things at the moment, particularly Facebook, is how the changes that are being made in iOS 14 is going to have some changes to measurement and conversion tracking. Um, and then a knock-on effect from that is going to be our remarketing audiences will get smaller. Um, has Google or Microsoft kind of indicated what whether measurement or anything is going to be changing in the future? Um in terms of cookie-based measurement and remarketing audiences? Similarly, um, we'll, Google will be moving away from cookie-based, um, but I don't think that will be till until next year um, is what, what we kind of know so far. Um, but yeah, that will be happening at some stage, but at the moment we're still um, tagging or, or recommending to tag everything and still continue with cookie-based for this year um, at the moment. Squadcast, the Tag Digital Podcast. Your go-to podcast for the latest event, PPC news and trends. Thanks for tuning in to this special roundtable edition of the Squadcast. And thanks very much to Karen and to Ashley for joining us. If you're looking for more events PPC insight, then check out our other episodes, which are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the Tag Digital website. You can find some great blogs by some of the team there too, so be sure to check that out. If you have any questions about anything that myself or Jamie have discussed during this episode, or if you have any other inquiries, then feel free to drop us an email at either johnny at tagdigital.co.uk or jamie at tagdigital.co.uk. Or alternatively, you can get in touch via our website, which is, you may have guessed it, tagdigital.co.uk. So thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. The Squadcast. Your go-to podcast for the latest event PPC news and trends. Squadcast by Tag Digital.